don't be afraid. Lock the doors. Turn out the lights. And climb into bed. It's time for Hillbilly Dead Time Stories. In the city of Yazoo, Mississippi, in the middle of a grove, there is a glade. And in that glade, in the shadows of centuries-old magnolia, oak, cedar, and dogwood trees, there stands a simple brick church. A vibrant community of faith where people have gathered for more than 170 years to find and be found by God. To raise their children in the faith, to bury their dead, and to bask in the comfort and support of fellowship as they travel along their spiritual journey. This church has been known to have other types of spirits, and that church is Chapel of the Cross. The young Bellhaven college student had mapped out several routes between his Yazoo City home and the campus in Jackson. His favorite took him down Highway 16 and past the historic Chapel of the Cross between Madison and Flora. He often traveled with three other young Bellhaven students. Occasionally they stopped at the chapel, a beautiful Gothic building that looked for all the world like some remnant from ancient times. With its graveyard of crumbling stones huddled close by, the little brick church at twilight caused even the boldest visitor to draw a sharp breath at the slightest sound. The four college friends usually stopped at the chapel for only a few minutes to stretch their legs, but on one moonlit evening they found themselves actors in an otherworldly drama. On this night, the young men had separated to do a bit of informal sleuthing. One walked around behind the church, Another appeared in the side entrance. A third was near the chapel's front entrance. The driver, who recalled the events in a newspaper interview years later, was trying to read the old tombstones in the graveyard by flashlight. Each then heard or saw something entirely frightening. One looked up quickly as he heard the tower bell ring. Another caught a fleeting glimpse of a face in one of the windows. The other two men, each on different sides of the church, heard organ chords. One of them also saw the heavy front door open and a figure appear. It then passed directly through the locked iron gate that protects the old wood door and vanished down a path. Each of the students described what he had seen, but none of them were absolutely ready to believe the others. After all, only two of the students had shared in the same experience, organ music coming from inside the chapel. There would be other nights when they would be far more certain that something haunts the Chapel of the Cross. The chapel was built by Miss Margaret L. Johnstone as a memorial to her husband, John T. Johnstone. Mr. Johnstone was a wealthy planter in antebellum Madison County. The Gothic design was by Frank Wills, an English architect who later worked for the Episcopal Diocese of New York. Consecrated as an Episcopal church in 1852, 
The chapel has been called one of the best examples of Gothic architecture in the state. Architect Wills gave the church a striking pointed look with sharply tipped windows and a pointed front archway protected by an iron gate. Dramatic buttresses form a steep bell coat. The interior woodwork and the plaster labels carry through the apex design. The Gothic effect is heightened by an unusual iron fence around the adjacent cemetery. The human story of the chapel's founding family is dramatic and tragic. John T. Johnstone was the younger brother of Scotland's Earl of Annandale. He made his way to Madison County in 1820 from North Carolina, where he had first settled after immigrating to the United States. Johnstone left his wife Margaret behind in North Carolina while he made the journey alone. She joined him later when he completed a two-room log cabin on the large acreage that he had purchased. The house grew along with his family. The Johnstones raised 15 children in the coming years. The oldest was Fanny, for whom her father built Ingleside House in 1846. The youngest was Helen, who played a central role in the most famous legend of the Chapel of the Cross. Johnstone became one of the wealthiest planters in Mississippi, and he made plans to build a magnificent mansion that he would call Annandale after his Scottish ancestral home. He died in 1948 before his dream could be fulfilled. His widow vowed to complete her husband's vision. The lack of satisfactory church in which to hold her husband's funeral, however, induced her to put off an Annandale completion until a proper church could be built. Sunday services had often been held in the Johnstone house or in a local schoolhouse. Miss Johnstone donated 10 acres of land to the Episcopal Diocese of Mississippi. Artisan slaves baked bricks for the building of the little church, while Miss Johnstone made sure its furnishings would be of the finest quality. The baptismal font, made from a single stone, and the original stained glass windows were made in France. A furnace, highly unusual for that era, was also included. The pews, altar, chancel rail, and the pipe organ were imported from England. By Christmas 1955, the chapel was complete, and John Johnstone's legacy, Annandale, was now under construction by his widow. The great mansion would eventually rise to become a three-story Italianate villa with 40 rooms. During that same Christmas season, Miss Johnstone and her 16-year-old daughter Helen were visiting daughter Fanny and her family at Ingleside. One afternoon during the holidays, the dashing young Henry Gray Vick, son of the founder of Vicksburg, was traveling on a nearby road when his carriage became stuck in the mud. Servants at Ingleside freed the carriage, but it was determined that several days would be needed for repairs. Vick was invited to stay at Ingleside. During those few days, the beautiful Helen Johnstone and Henry Vick fell in love. Miss Johnstone was not unhappy with the match, but she did insist that the couple wait until Helen reached her 20th birthday. Their love persevered and a wedding date was set for May 21, 1859. A few days before the wedding, 
Henry Vick traveled to New Orleans looking for furnishings for their new home and a wedding suit for himself. By ill fortune, he came across one James Stith, a man who claimed that Vick had harmed him in an earlier business deal. The men argued, and Stith challenged Vick to a duel. Vick tried to retreat from the challenge, perhaps worried over Stith's reputed excellence as a marksman. But the thought of being called a coward was just too much, even with the prospect of losing his life. He agreed to defend his honor, which in the South in the 1850s was to be expected from all gentlemen. While duels were officially banned, they were privately condoned. The two men met at Holly's Gardens in Mobile. Vic, as the challenged, had decided upon long rifles as the chosen weapons. With their backs to one another, Vic and Stith marched off 30 paces, turned and fired. Vic aimed into the air. Stith did not. The groom-to-be fell to the ground, mortally wounded. Miss Johnstone broke the tragic news to her daughter as she prayed in the chapel of the cross. Helen insisted that Henry Vick's body be brought back so that he could be buried in the new church cemetery. Shortly before the planned wedding day, Vick's remains, packed in a piano box with ice and charcoal used as preservatives, arrived at Annandale. Some say that Helen insisted that the wedding go forward. Henry's wedding band was placed on his finger before he was laid to rest in the chapel's graveyard. The inscription on this headstone, shaped as a cross, reads, Henry Gray Vick, entered into rest May 17, 1859, carved into the stone are replicas of a dog and a gun. Helen was inconsolable. She sat by her lover's grave for hours upon end, speaking in a quiet voice of what their life together would have held. Miss Johnstone was naturally worried that the tragedy might permanently destroy her daughter's mind. She decided to close Annandale and take Helen on an extended tour of Europe. They were gone for several months. When they returned, Helen seemed to have overcome her grief, at least by all outward signs. Helen later married the kindly Reverend George Harris. She never truly overcame her love for Henry Vick. She died in 1916. Her body rests at Rolling Fork Plantation, which became her home after her marriage to the Reverend Harris. The four Bellhaven College students were never certain that they saw Helen's ghost at the Chapel of the Cross, but other visitors have reported seeing an attractive young woman sobbing near Henry Vick's grave. Grief is apparent in her face and she fades away as any visitors approach. On a subsequent visit to the chapel, the students decided to stay together. Three of them were watching the front door, the one protected by the iron gate, when it opened and two figures came out. The door closed behind them as they passed through the bars of the iron gate. Then the most peculiar event ever reported that the chapel took place. The figures walked over to a nearby tree, climbed up its trunk, and out onto a stout limb. They sat there for about a half a minute before finally fading away. All three young men saw the events at the same time. The men did not attempt to walk to the mysterious figures at any time, whatever or whoever 
they saw seemed to want to avoid human contact with humans. Although Helen Johnstone's ghost is most often seen at the chapel, there is another. There is another, far bloodier legend associated with it. The chapel had a caretaker many years ago. He cleaned the church, opened the doors for Sunday services, and kept the grounds well-groomed. He was married to the most obnoxious woman, a shrew who giggled incessantly. The caretaker's duties took him to the chapel late one night. A few minutes after he arrived, his wife came in the door, giggling uncontrollably as usual. Something snapped inside him. He yelled at her to stop. When she giggled even louder, he picked up an axe and with one swift stroke, severed her head. He dragged her body to a bench outside the front door, retrieved her head, and propped it atop her bloody neck. Because he was such a conscientious employee, he mopped up the blood and put away the axe. Then he hanged himself from a rafter. Some people say that the woman's giggle has not gone away, and that the bloodstains from the murderous night reappear from time to time on the floor. The hauntings of the chapel of the cross continue. A posted notice forbids entrance to the grounds after 6 o'clock at night. The regulation is probably designed to prevent vandalism, but it may also give the graveyard ghosts all the privacy that they expected. Daddy has to hunt down a whale. 